Well, howdy, Hootah Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you. Episode 157, uh, titled Lake Bacon. Thought it was a pretty cool title, rolls off the tongue. What the heck does it mean? We're about to find out. Before we get into that, we're going to do the recommendation segment. This week, I recommend you check out Altered Carbon. Originally, it is a book, which I am listening to the audiobook right now, but there's also a show, pretty popular show on Netflix. There's two seasons. Um, I do not think both seasons are created equal. We'll get in. Well, I'll talk about that. I recommend Altered Carbon. <clears throat> I will admit I didn't finish season two of the show, as I thought it felt like a completely different show from season one. They had different feels to them. Uh, I don't know. But season one is still worth the watch for sure. Season two, if, go ahead, check it out. You might like it more than I did. And I actually think once I've finished rewatching season one with my wife, I might give it a try too. I got Shannon into it, and it seems um, that she enjoys this futuristic sci-fi private eye concept thing. Plus, I'm currently listening to the audiobook, and that, of course, is you know has more detail. So it's fun to listen to an audiobook and watch a movie around the same time or show at the same time. I did that with Ready Player One. It, it's good. Things that have film adaptations, you can see things that are different, and you feel like you get the whole picture. Uh, the world of Altered Carbon is is a rich one with all sorts of different sci-fi concepts you'll pr probably never considered a possibility, even with imagination before. So <clears throat> that's what good sci-fi is. They take a concept, they they propose it, and it's just like, huh. And then they, they play with it. They say, well, what would, um, excuse me, just a moment, I have to clear my throat. <clears throat> they would say, okay, well, what does... Uh, economic the economic world look like with this new sci-fi concept what does the what does sex look like with this new concept what does war look like with this new sci-fi concept and altered carbon it seems like the guy who wrote it really fleshed out um you know all those different facets all those different fun ideas that he played with his his concept here's the summary more than 300 years in the future, society has been transformed by new technology, leading to human bodies being interchangeable and, and death no longer being permanent. Takeshi Kovacs is the only surviving soldier of a group of elite interstellar warriors who were defeated in an uprising against the New World Order. His mind was imprisoned for centuries, until an impossibly wealthy businessman, Lauren, Lorenz Bancroft, offers him to change, offers him the chance to live again. Kovacs or Kovach, um, will have to do something for Bancroft, though. If he wants to be resurrected, Bancroft's request of Kovach's is to solve a murder. Bancroft's altered carbon is based on Richard K. Morgan's cyberpunk noir novel of the same name. So Richard K. Morgan's the guy that wrote the book, and the book is different. <laughs> the summary I just read you, that's from the show. So that summarizes the show you will find on Netflix. It's very popular. It's very good. Main character is played by Joel Kinnaman, <clears throat> the leading role. And I think Joel Kinnaman is awesome. He plays Takeshi Kovach in season one. And I've always thought Kinnaman brings a captivating grittiness to the roles that he plays. I loved his work in the show The Killing, which is now on Hulu. I think it was originally on like AMC or something. But The Killing is a really good detective show. And Kinnaman's in that. And he plays like the, the supporting actor. So good. Season two, Takeshi Kovacs, is played by Anthony Mackie. And I don't know. Mackie was cool as Captain America's sidekick Falcon in The Avengers. But I think he isn't gritty enough to play Takeshi Kovacs. Um, 
So season two didn't really do it for me. Anthony Mackie, he's the he's the black guy from uh, Eight Mile. Like I said, he played Falcon in the Avengers. And there are roles that he I mean, he's a good actor. He's very dedicated. You know, he works really hard, but he doesn't he doesn't give off the cigarette. Oh, I don't give a crap vibe that Joel Kinnaman does. Joel Kinnaman really gets that grittiness. One of the best characters in the show, which is not in the book, at least not as far as I am into the book, which is chapter 13, is Poe, the artificial intelligent hotel that craves, quote, this is a quote from the book, these AI hotels, they do talk about them in the book, but Poe specifically is not in it. They, quote, crave guests like humans crave sex. They go crazy. That's a direct quote from the book. Poe is an AI and he runs the Hotel Raven and he's named himself after Edgar Allan Poe and he sort of looks like Edgar Allan Poe um, and he, his character is really cool. And what I like, people, people, what I think is really cool about sh the show, at least season one, if you read a book and then you watch the show or movie, you'd be like, okay, I see why they had to cut corners. It seems like the show made up things, made details up or exaggerated details from the book or completely brought ideas that aren't in the book at all and put them in the show. And the person who wrote the season one, it's written by Abby Bernstein, seems like she really made it her own. It's kind of, it's really rewarding to read it and watch the show because they're almost two different parallel universes of the same story. So I like that about it. It didn't rip it off, but it also took all the good parts. It's cool. It's cool. Anyway, that's Altered Carbon. That's the recommendation segment. We're five minutes into the episode. I haven't even talked about the main event. I'm getting to it. I just really like Altered Carbon, and so does my wife, so I think you should check it out. Now, for the main event. <clears throat> and sorry, I keep having to clear my throat here. In 1884, the Japanese delegation of the World's Fair presented the water hyacinth, the uh, scientific name I Icornia crespus. It is a beautiful aquatic plant with yellow spots on purple and blue flowers. It's really pretty. I have a picture on the blog. Its seeds spread with vari by various means. Floods, winds, birds stuck on the bottom of human boots. And it stays viable for three decades. So it's a pretty hardy plant. It's gorgeous. Water hyacinth. While the water hyacinth is regarded for its beauty in its native Japan, it is now known as a terror to the ecosystems of North America. The Icornia crespus is very aggressive, invasive species that chokes the life out of the waterways by blocking light and growing <clears throat> thick roots that stop even boats from navigating the waters of the American South. On top of that, it is highly toxic to most mammalian species if ingested, and to remove it is costly beyond imagining. It's really expensive because its roots are huge and it's in the water. So while the people at the 1884 World's Fair thought it was pretty, they had no idea the damage they were doing for future generations by introducing this alpha plant to a foreign environment that had no means to combat its spread. Some say the water hyacinth is an aquatic equivalent to the Japanese invasive perennial kudzu, the vine that ate the south. If you've ever driven through the south, you'll see carpets of this, of this, you know, my, I think I think I've heard it called mile a minute weed or something. Louisiana got it worst, uh, but much of the south was hit by the water hyacinth. So invasive species, it's a, a tale as old as time. People bring over species that shouldn't be in a certain place and they just run wild. Um, yeah, it's a plant that's really good at growing. And it, when it's introduced to a place that doesn't have things that, 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 that eat it, it just grows like mad. A few decades go by and the ecosystems of the American South are still far from figuring out how to cope with the Japanese invader. The population in America at this time is booming. Food shortages are becoming more commonplace as a result. The American family especially notices a lack of meat. By 1910, 
it was known as a crisis, a meat crisis. Even the world, I think, was having a bit of an issue with a lack of meat. Overgrazing and a lack of cattle legitimately had the American people rethinking their stance on the beloved canines and felines they had in their homes. No joke, people were about to eat their dogs, and this scared the hell out of elected officials. Robert Feligny Broussard, House of Representatives from Louisiana, had a proposition to solve both America's invasive water plant and meat problems with one solution, something he called Lake Bacon. Louisiana's 3rd Congressional District put in writing and proposed an actual bill called the American Hippo Bill, (laughs) H.R. 23621. The thought was that hippos would eat the invasive water hyacinth plant, and we humans would eat the hippos. Win-win, right? The plants go by, we get a new meat, and it solves a meat issue. (laughs) Kind of crazy, but you know why not? President Theodore Roosevelt, a man who deserves his own Who'd Have Thunk It episode someday, what a crazy guy that was, was all for this bill. Which I find funny and very uh, characteristic of Teddy Roosevelt. It doesn't surprise me. On paper, it seems to be a great solution and would put a new tasty meat on the American menu. The agriculturalists estimated that a free-range hippo herd would make a million tons of meat per year. So pretty good. Plus, Teddy Roosevelt, he's like a known meat lover, hunter, adventurer. So I'd be like, yeah, bring him over here. I want to hunt him. The bill also had support from the New York Times. I have a paragraph from their 1910 article. Quote, New York Times, April 12th, 1910, page 10. Lake Cow Bacon, made from delicious hyacinth-fed hippopotamus of Louisiana's lily-fringed streams, should soon be obtainable from the southern packing houses. Properly seeded southern streams and marshes will grow 30 to 50 tons of hyacinth to the acre, and on 6.4 million now useless acres in the Gulf states, 1 million tons of the most delicious of fresh foods flesh foods worth a hundred million may be grown yearly that's a weird way to write an article wordy you know it's over a hundred years ago that they wrote it so it makes sense i could have accessed the entire 1910 new york times article but that would cost money and i don't make jack off of who to thunk it so it's not happening buy your own new york times subscription who to thunkers because i'm not doing it (laughs) i've said it before i will look into stuff but i will not pay for it (laughs) not for a free podcast that i make like I don't know, I've made like 50 bucks over the last four years, <laughs> but I like doing it. So I will look at the free stuff. And they gave me that paragraph for free. Lippincott, uh, Lippincott's monthly magazine, a publication publication out of Philadelphia from 1868 to 1915. They wrote this animal homely, <laughs> homely as a steamroller is the embodiment of salvation, peace, plenty, and contentment lie before us, and a new life with new experiences, new opportunities, new vigor, new romance (laughs) folded in that golden future when the meadows and the bayous of our southern lands shall shall swarm with herds of hippopotami. (laughs) So the the news... The news publications were going wild with this. They're like, we're going to see hippos everywhere. I'm so excited. And there's all these paintings that come out of the time and era. Hippo ranches. Crazy. Now, the hippo is a big-ass animal. Males get to about 3,300 to 4,000 pounds. And females are about 2,900 to 3,000 pounds. Whereas male cows, like actual cattle that we do have today, bulls and steer, they weigh around 2,400 to... And females weigh around 1,600, so 1,600 pounds. So our actual cows are smaller. They produce less meat than the hippo. So there's a benefit you can see there. The word hippopotamus comes from the Greek term of for river horse. 
They are the third heaviest an land animal alive today. When most people look at hippos, they think they look like pigs, but they're actually more closely related to uh, cetaceans. That's whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Pretty cool, huh? Now picture it. I come from a farming region of Pennsylvania, so it's easy for me to picture a farm with livestock roaming in a fenced-in hill or field. I'd like you to picture it too, though, no matter where you're your background's from. I'm sure you've seen a farm, maybe on TV, if not in real life. You're driving across America, and you see a bunch of farms with cows, pigs, sheep, goats, and oh look, a herd of hippos. How crazy would that be? The idea got people very excited, as you may have gotten picturing it. But there are a couple of issues with the Lake Bacon idea. There's a couple couple hiccups there. First of all, combating an invasive species like the water hyacinth by introducing another invasive species does not work. Just period. I know people say nine times out of ten doesn't work. I'm going to say it just doesn't work. Like in Hawaii, they had a rat problem in Hawaii. So people coming to the islands unintentionally brought rats, which were mucking up the local e ecosystem. I mean, they were mucking up the ecosystem, but really ticked off the white settlers was it was eating their sugarcane fields, <laughs> their, their cane fields. So they were like, hey, this is hurting our money or bottom line. Sure, it's mucking up the ecosystem, but it's also eating our cane fields. We've got to do something about it. Someone got the bright idea to introduce <laughs> mongooses from India, hoping that they would eat the rats. But a very simple, I mean, there's a bunch of issues that came out of it, but the number one, super simplest one that nobody thought to look into, rats are nocturnal, mongooses are not. So the two species almost never came into contact with each other. So the rats kept screwing up the cane fields and the mongooses started destroying local birds and turtle populations. And they didn't fix each other. They just made things worse. It's like having a house fire and, and throwing a pack of matches at it. This is typically how introducing non-native species works. You, you introduce one, let's introduce another to fix it, and it just goes worse. So without an insane amount of research, they were bound to have issues. Ecosystems are insanely complex, and you can't just bring a new species and hope they fit like a glove. It's, it's not a jigsaw puzzle. It's like a huge, insanely complex circuit board. You, you can't just start messing with things and hoping it, fix, or it fits. Not to mention, hippos are aggressive AF. I talked about this on episode 75 of Who to Thunk It, titled Cocaine Hippos. That's right. I, this, is not, this is not my first episode on hippos. Uh, they are territorial and unpredictable. One minute, a hippo is chill as hell. And the next, they just flip out and get super aggressive and kill anything in their sight. Scientists believe this unpredictable, uh, unpredictable aggression is something the hippo evolved to have in order to survive the harsh African environment. If you look like a giant ball of tasty meat and live among apex predators like lions and hyenas, it's probably going to turn your species into some hard mofos. Makes sense, right? They can run or gallop at top speeds of 19 miles per hour. 19, we've seen some higher ones. You know, the cheetah can run at 80. 19 is not that great. You know, you know they they can be outrun. You can outrun a hippo. But only by Usain Bolt, the fastest man alive. I would not be able to outrun a hippo. It would just kill me. <laughs> they kill more people than any other large animal in Africa. They're number one. <laughs> Despite these drawbacks, Louisiana's third congressional district couldn't resist the idea of these river monsters uh, could potentially solve the South's water hyacinth and meat shortage problems in the, at the same time. So there were a lot of prominent politicians in favor of this bill. Uh, OnPasture.com on, uh, on writes uh, about one of these prominent political figures. 
William Irwin, or W.N. Irwin, uh, was a researcher with the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Bureau of Plant Industry. He noted that in the past, the United States had dealt with shortages by expanding to the West. But with the frontier closed and nowhere further to expand, the country must now figure out how to turn the unproductive deserts and swamps into areas that would pr provide food for a rapidly expanding population. He told the listening congressman, quote, we ought to have more creatures that we are raising here. He told the Washington Post, quote, I hope to live long enough to see herds of these broad-backed beasts wallowing in the southern marshes and rivers. Uh, fattening on the millions of tons of food which awaits their arrival to see great droves of white rhinoceri roaming over the semi-arid desert wastes fattening on the sparse herbage which these lands offer to see herds of the delicate giraffe the flesh of which is the purest and sweetest of any known animal browsing on the buds and shoots of young trees in preparation for the butcher's block <laughs> what what a human thing to say. Just like, I can't wait to see those beautiful animals and then eat them. Erwin, <laughs> terribly, terribly like conquering colonial <laughs> mindset. Erwin believed that this was a test of American ingenuity and resolve. According to him, quote, to defend our freedom and way of life, some generations of Americans are called to go to war. This generation was being called to import hippopotamuses and eat them. <laughs> so they're making this a big deal. It's a too political fashion, just blowing it out of proportion, seeing, trying to, trying to, you know, show the carrot here. Like, look how cool this would be. Everyone else is going to vote on it. Two congressmen, Frederick Russell Burnham and Frederick Fritz Joubert Duquesne, who were usually at odds with each other, supported the Lake Bacon Bill. Uh, did I say they were at odds with each other? No, more like they spent a decade trying to kill each other in the African bush. I will let todayinhistory.blog explain the lives of these two mad lads and their beef with each other and what it has to do with hippos. Major Frederick Russell Burnham had argued for the introduction of African wildlife into the American food stream some four years earlier. A freelance scout and American adventurer, Burnham was known for his service to the British Scout African Company and to the British Army in colonial Africa. The King of Scouts commanding officers described Burnham as half jackrabbit and half wolf, a man totally without fear. One writer described Burnham's life as an endless chain of impossible achievements. Another, a man whose senses and abilities approached the approached that of a wild predator. He was the inspiration for the Indiana Jones character and for the Boy Scouts. Frederick Burnham was, quote, the most complete human being who ever lived. So quite the adventurer dude. Sounds a lot like Teddy Roosevelt, That those kind of guys. His picture looks like Teddy Roosevelt. So pretty badass guy on pasture, even talked about him too, said he, uh, he suggested we should continue to add the country's food stocks from the global pantry and that given time, hippo roast would become just as normal as beef roast. It was a project he knew required working against overwhelming difficulties and the loud guffaws of the ignorant. Yet he firmly believed it was an idea that could restore the feeling of promise in America. He saw nothing unusual in the idea of adding hippo, giraffe, dick dicks, weighing six to ten pounds and perfect for a Christmas feast and more to the American dinner table. So these guys are like, bring them over here. I want to eat them. I want to eat them. <laughs> that was one of the guys. And then Frederick Fritz Joubert Duquesne was a bower of French Huguenot ancestry, descended from Dutch settlers to South Africa, a smooth-talking guerrilla fighter, 
the self-styled Black Panther once described himself as every bit the wild African animal as any creature of the Veld, an incandescent tower of hate for all things British. Duquesne was a liar, a chameleon, a man of a thousand aliases who once spent seven months feigning paralysis so he could fool his jailers uh, long enough to cut through his prison bars. So these guys are crazy adventurers doing things that I can't even imagine doing, <laughs> but they probably did it even younger than I am now. Duquesne was destined to be a German spy and saboteur through two world wars. Frederick Burnham described his mortal adversary thus. He was one of the craftiest men I ever met. He had something of a genius of the Apache for avoiding a combat except in his own terms. Yet he would be the last man I should choose to meet in a dark room for, uh, for a finished fight armed only with knives. So that's the way these guys are talking about each other. During the Second Boer War, the pair had sworn to kill each other. Kill each other. In 1910, these two men became partners in a mission to bring hippos to America's dinner table. So, <laughs> these two dudes who are like, he's the worst scoundrel ever. He's a liar and a cheat, and I, w I wouldn't want to be in a dark room with him. They're, these two dudes, impressive dudes, literally swore to kill each other, yet both agreed hippos in the South would be a good idea. And, you know, hippo is a common food in West Africa, even today. Why wouldn't America... Americans like it too. They have all this political backing. It is a known uh, food source for a decent sized population in Africa. They're, they produce more meat than, than cows. Yeah, they're aggressive, but you know, why not? We'll, we'll come up with an industry around it. As we know from Pablo Escobar's hippos, again, see who to thunk at episode number 75 cocaine hippos if you want to know what the heck I'm talking about. Yes, Pablo Escobar had hippos. These water horses, these hippos, will flourish in Colombia. So there's little doubt that they wouldn't do the same in the Gulf Coast of America. So, you know, there's no worry that they wouldn't flourish here in America. They make more meat. All of it's political backing from very powerful dudes. So what happened to the Lake Bacon Bill? It was shot down by just one vote. <laughs> we were one vote away from changing this nation environmentally, like in so many profound ways. <laughs> it was shot down by one vote. We are one vote away from being a nation infested with hippos. <laughs> Representative and eventual Senator Broussard, the guy who brought up the bill, kept the bill close clo or close for the rest of his life, close at hand. When he died, they, they found it in his desk and listed on his agenda as a pressing matter to bring up the bill again later at a later date when he thought maybe more people would be in favor of it. Time passed and the Americans embraced factory farming and the use of hormones, so our meat problem went away. Today, the state of Louisiana alone pays for $2 million a year just to keep their herbicidal control over the water hyacinth. So we've come up with patchwork works to get around this. While having hippo ranches might have caused a crazy ecosystem in America, that doesn't mean hormones and factory farming policies of today are really better. You know, they definitely aren't perfect systems. They, the effluent of factory farms from Montana to Pennsylvania works its way into the nation's rivers and streams, washing out to the Mississippi Delta to a biological dead zone the size of New Jersey. So all that stuff we pump into our farms and that we, we pump into our waterways to kill the water hyacinth, yeah, it's not great for the environment either. I'm not saying hippos would be better, but what we do now isn't perfect. So who knows? Maybe hippos would be a good idea. I don't think it is. I don't think in, inviting foreign species is ever a good idea. But yeah, I don't. I, I can't say 
you know, basically chemically castrating a, a, an area the size of New Jersey in the Gulf of Mexico is a good idea either, which is what we do today. Today, the only hippo herds roaming around are the ones in our imaginations. Some today seem to think it would have been a better alternative to the way farming is done now. I know factory farming certainly is not a perfect system, but I have to think introducing the hippo, let alone all the other animals. I mean, the bill wanted to use 250 grand to import a wide variety of African animals suited for lots of different American environments. I can't say that, you know, can you imagine the havoc that that would wreak on the North American continent's ecosystem? I can't say hippos are better. But in the safe confines of the imagination, where I don't have to worry about the repercussions of introducing African wildlife to North America, I like to think it would be cool. How cool would it be to have not just cowboys, but hippo boys? Y'all, y'all, what, what would a hippo boy look like? What, what kind of profession would that be? What kind of industry, what kind of, what kind of dude would, be, would a hippo boy look like? If we introduced them in 1910, if we did, uh, perhaps we would have a more docile, domesticated version of the hippo by now to think about you know we domesticate animals they get you know we we breed the, the the calmer ones the ones that are nicer to humans maybe by 2023 we'd have like these cute and cuddly hippos i don't know plus i want to try some hippo meat really bad and i guess it is available in certain countries i don't know if i can get in here in america but i would like to but seriously what would america look like now i don't know you tell me who to thunkers i'll post it on a, a little a little poll or a little question at the end of the episode let me know would you like to try some hippo meat? <laughs> and I got a little snippet here from one of my articles or my sources. We don't really know how many hippos we'd have in Louisiana today if we had begun raising them in 1910. But if they increased in the same rate as those that drug Lord Pablo Escobar's did in his ranches in Colombia, and if we didn't eat any of them, today we might have 73 million hippos. <laughs> you just have them walk by your house in the morning. There's some hippos down there. Oh my goodness, there's a hippo. Careful there. <laughs> I don't know where that accent came from, but just crazy. Absolute bonkers. This is America. This is the country I am in where we, like, one vote away from just bringing on a bunch of hippos, giraffes, rhinoceros. Why would we need rhinoceros? I don't know. If we were one vote away from just turning America in, into, like, the African safari. Crazy. <laughs> one vote away and people today are still like yeah we should have done that <laughs> i don't i don't think it would have been a good idea but you tell me what you think <laughs> thanks for listening here to thunkers to lake bacon episode 157 catch you next week <laughs>